All right, I'm going to go ahead and open up the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. James Downing was was a uh, a brother in Christ. He professed Christ as his savior. I first met James when uh, after he married Nadine, his loved wife, and uh, we fellowship together for many years. Uh, there, there were times I, there was a time that we were without a church building for a while, <laughs> and we were meeting regularly in people's homes. And uh, Nadine and and Jim uh, opened up their home quite often, and I remember sitting together in Bible study. And he never failed that every time uh, that I I would give the study or I would preach, he would always be one of the very first to to encourage me. Even when I felt like I gave him bad message, he would be there to to tell me uh, that he was really blessed by it. And uh, and uh, I'm blessed the fact that I'm be here, I'm here because he told me uh, probably at least a hundred different times, almost as he was going through. Uh, as he was uh, giving his encouragement to me that he would like me to preach his funerals. <laughs> and uh, so the Lord worked it out to where I can be here uh, to preach this morning. And I want to preach what I believe he would have been amening to. <laughs> Just a simple gospel message. I want to talk about reality because really... In these situations, we are confronted with what is real. Our life is but a vapor. It appears for a short time, and then it vanishes away. And our life is meant to be, it's meaningful, and it's meant to have a greater purpose than simply uh, fulfilling our own desires. And there, that verse I just quoted in James, uh, where he says, your life is but a vapor, he came to the moral conclusion, you ought to say, if the Lord will, I will go and do, do this or that. That your life should be predicated on what God's expressed will is. So we are confronted with this reality again today. James, we could say, died full of years. Uh, he, he, he lived a good, full life. And his life was meaningful. His life was impactful. And through that life, at least in the years that I knew him, it was a life that had a great testimony he brought joy to people. He was, he was calm. He was cool. He was collective, and he was encouraging. And I know, I know, some of the family was talking about uh, getting together at Christmas and things of that nature. And he was there, and he was just a joyful influence on those and impactful in in those times. So it was a life that's worth celebrating, and it's a life that. Uh, that was well lived. We can say that at the end. But it still confronts us with a reality. And the reality is the reality of death. 
Um, and the even greater reality is this. Uh, your lifespan is small. There's a little dash that's going to be between the date of your birth and the date of your death. And you're going to be dead a lot longer than you've been alive. And this is not it. There is something more. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to read about two great realities and I want to bring them together. In verse 22, it's a very small verse. And I know James would want me to preach the gospel this morning and that's exactly what I plan on doing. Of course, now this afternoon. It's verse 22. Paul, in context here, is saying, is telling us what the gospel is. And the gospel is simple. It's not, uh, the gospel is not start going to church. It's not going, getting baptized. It's not, it's not turning over a new leaf. It's not, uh, it's not uh, practicing this or practicing that. It's about what Christ did. That's the good news. The good news is, is Christ did something. Christ, who is the word of God, eternal with the Father, the creator of all things, that Christ died for our sins. That's the great preposition of the gospel. And he was buried, and then he rose again the third day, and he was seen. That's the gospel, according to this, the context of this chapter. He says, that's what I received, and that's what I declare to you. And he goes on to say that if the resurrection of Christ is not true, then our faith is vain and our preaching is vain and we're of all men most miserable. And I can sit, stand here today and say that we are definitely not of all men most miserable. We have a hope. And, and that's the context and he says in verse 20, but now is Christ risen? The simple truth declared. Christ is not dead. He died once, but he is alive forevermore. And he says in verse 22, as we have contextualized what this, this chapter, he says, for as in Adam all die. Even so, and I'm glad there's an even so there. Because the first part of the verse is the bad news. Every one of us are in Adam. And what's in Adam dies. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made Alive. So as we are contemplating our end in this life, we are reminded that there is these greater realities that are overshadowing everything. Who is Adam? Adam was... The 
first man. He was created in the image of God. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became something greater than the sum of his parts. He became a living soul. And so we're all of Adam. You are more than just this body. James was more than the body you see laid out before you today. He had a soul. A soul that was in the very image of God. And that is what made him. That's what made Adam. That's what made all of us who we are. We have a soul. That's going to live further. There is the reality of this concrete world. This world is meaningful. We're connected to it. But we are, we are something greater than this world. And while the body perishes, the soul lives on. So we have the reality of life in Adam. That's what we are. We are a soul. And the soul is valuable. The soul is of intrinsic value. In fact, Jesus Christ compared the value of the soul to the world. When he says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? So the soul is valuable. The soul is created in us in God. And that, is, that speaks of the truth of creation, the truth of life. That we are created of God, given life by God. And Adam also reminds us of another reality. The reality of sin. What was the command that was given to Adam? He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Paul summed up the wages of sin as death. By the way, this is not how it was meant to be for us to die. So the reality of sin, what did Adam do? He disobeyed. And I'm thankful that the story is a story of grace. God, was, God, God did not bring the full judgment upon Adam that very moment for his sin. But he continued to live a full life. But he died. And so has been the history of humanity ever since. We read the genealogies in Genesis chapter 5. He, lived, he was born... He, was, he lived so many years. He begat sons and daughters. And then he died. And this next one, he lived. He was born. He lived so many years. He begat sons and daughters and he died. So the reality of sin, the reality of death is brought before us. We, death entered the world because of sin. And... We all sinned in Adam. We all sinned. I don't have to convince anybody here. We're sinners. Every single one of us. I, that entered in the world of my experience when I 
took my took one day that I became conscious of the fact that I knew what, what was right and I knew what was wrong, and I did what was wrong anyway, knowing that there was a God above me. For me, it was when I was five years old and I got my grandma's scissors and, and cut her curtains up, and she asked me, Jason, did you cut my curtains? And I said, no. I was conscious at that very moment that I was a sinner and I've relived that reality time and time again. The reality of sin. I don't have to convince anybody the simple truth. All have sinned. It's not just Adam. It's all that are in Adam. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the reality of death is deeper than that. Adam historically ate the fruit and God did not lie. He did die that very day. The real death. What we see is just a shadow of this. The physical death of James, his soul is separated from his body, his body goes to the ground, dust to dust that body will return, but the spirit, Ecclesiastes 12, returned to the God that gave it. What is physical death? It's a separation of soul and body. What is real death? The death that all of us know and experience. Separation from God because of our sins. Adam disobeyed, he sinned, and then what happened? He was afraid. Afraid of what? God. He tried to cover himself. Why? Because of God. He hid behind the bushes. Why? Because of God. And mankind and all that are in Adam have been trying to hide from God ever since in their sins. So we have the reality of life in Adam, the reality of sin in Adam, the reality of death in Adam. And the reality of judgment. In Adam all die. It's appointed all of us to die physically. But that's not the end. Hebrews 9.27 It is appointed on the man once to die. And after this, there is an after this, after this, the judgment. But that's not the end of the verse here. And I'm thankful for it. Because we're all in Adam. We have the reality of not only of our life, but of our sin, our death, and our coming judgments for our sins. But as the writer of Hebrews says, but we see Jesus. I was talking about this matter of justification yesterday. And it, said, and it touches on this very fact in a roundabout way in our text. Even so in Christ shall all, all that are in Christ, that is. This is not teaching universalism. We're not all saved. That's the, not what the Bible teaches. But all that are in Christ shall be made alive. That was the hope that James had. That's the hope that I sit here or stand here. I don't know if I'm sitting or standing. 
That's the hope that I have. And it's a hope that's sure and steadfast. It's as real, not not just as real and as, as historical Adam, but it's as real as historical Christ who rose from the grave. Christ died our death. Christ was buried. Christ rose again to die no more. Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. All who believe in Christ are in Christ. You are in Christ by faith. Galatians 3. And all that are in Christ shall be made alive. And that forever. I love what Paul says in Romans. He says, Christ is risen from the grave to die no more. And we have that very life in him. There's a third, there's another another reality, but I will save it for the graveside here shortly. But if James was here at this very moment, he would want you to hear the truth, the simple truth of the gospel. In Adam all die. And if that's all you have is what you have in this life, then that's your end. But in Christ, all who are in Christ, they shall be made alive. If your hope is in Christ, if your faith is in Christ, that's the greater end. I pray that if there's that there is no one that the verse that this verse for them ends with those first few words. In Adam all die. Because if that is if that's all there is, then as Paul said a few verses earlier, you are of all men most miserable. Let the reality of all this set in. Death is real. Sin is real. As real as life itself. But Christ has life. I pray I commend that to you. And I don't give invitations. I just want to simply say the invitation's open if there's anyone here that wants to talk about their soul. Where they're going when they breathe their last breath. I'd be happy to spend the rest of the afternoon. I'll find someone to get my kid to work later. And we'll talk about Christ. I can open up this Bible and show you Christ. Not me, not my church, not my denomination, not, 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 not a thousand good works for you to do, but I can show you Christ. And I want to leave that invitation open. I'll make myself available if anybody wants to know more about Christ. Let's end in a word of prayer. Okay. Um, I want to read a couple passages of Scripture real quick. And just have some concluding remarks about one last reality that we did not talk about earlier. We touched on it. And I'm going to start with Psalm 23 just because I think that's always a good place to start here at the graveside. Because it walks us through Christ, who is the Lord. He's the head, I am the good shepherd. Here it's Jehovah of the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd. So we know 
when Christ said, I am the good shepherd, it's related to uh, the faith that we have as Christians. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And of course, that classic psalm has him, Lord, guiding us through this life, those that are his, guiding us through death, and receiving us forever in his home. The question I have every time I stand beside the graveside is, why do we bury our dead? And the reason is, is very simple. What we do here is a statement of our faith. It goes all the way back to the times of Genesis, where the reality of death, physical death, was was brought into this world. We find that when Abraham's wife died, he sought a place to bury her. Because he had the promise from God that one day he would inherit all. When Joseph died, he gave commandment for the people of Israel to carry his bones and bury them in the promised land. Why? Because he had faith that the promises of God would yet become true. And in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we have continued to bury our dead in hope and much more in Jesus Christ. Because the gospel ends not with death, but with resurrection. I alluded to this earlier, but in Romans chapter 6, it says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He lives... He lives unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. The reality of the resurrection is why we're here at a graveside today, committing his body to the ground, knowing that after the pattern of Christ, he will indeed rise again. And so it was with Paul as he talked about the sorrow of death in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he says this. And he spoke of those that sleep in Jesus. By the way, the 
those that die in faith are not said to be dead, they're said to sleep. Those only that died in their sins are said to be dead. But why are they said to be asleep? Because someone who's asleep is still alive. Someone who is asleep is resting. Someone who is asleep is going to get back up. And thus, that's the analogy here that Paul used, where he says, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those who have died in the faith, that is, that ye sorrow not as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So that's why we're here. We're here as a statement of our faith, the statement of the faith that James gave testimony through his life to have believed that Christ is indeed is risen, and we which are Christ shall live.